This episode is brought to you by 17 Hats, your all-in-one business management platform to save you from time-sucking tasks. Put hours back in your day with easy-to-use features like online scheduling, invoices, contracts, questionnaires, and much more. Learn more at 17hats.com. You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Hey, are, are you messing with me? Am I messing with you? Are you messing with me? I'm not messing with you. You're messing with what, me. You think I'm funny? I'm a clown to you? Uh, you? You are screwing with me because this week, when we did the countdown to sync up the podcast, like right. we always do, right. I said last week on the show that when you start at five, I know everything's okay. When you start at three, <laughs> you're usually in a bad mood. No, Today, no. you started at four. I did start at four. Um, I just wasn't paying much attention for some reason. And then when I came in at four, though, in my head, I thought, oh, he's probably freaking out right now because I didn't yeah. come in at five. He's wondering what that's about. Is it possible? Is it possible, El Guapo, that you spend too much time concentrating on the countdown? Could this be one of those times? Yeah. Um, yes. Could this be one of those times? I uh, honestly, I just don't know what to. I, you're hard to read. You're a hard man to know. I'm a mystery. You are wrapped a mystery. Wrapped in a riddle. Wrapped in a KFC. Smothered in secret sauce. <laughs> inside a Taco Bell. Inside yeah. a Baskin Robbins. I am. I am. We have the again today. We were coming home from breakfast and driving past the Burger King by the house here where uh, Sam's boyfriend works. And once again, I had to pose the question, who goes to Burger King? In my life, I've never met a person who was like, hey, let's go to Burger King. At, 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 for a second there, I thought you were going to say, who goes to Burger King in the morning? But it just stopped. Like, who goes to Burger no, King? No, just, who goes to Burger King? At all. I've, ne- I've, I've never met a person who was like, where's your favorite place? Where's your fast, favorite fast food? I like Burger King. Yeah, well, you know, the, there used to be a Burger King. When I was 17, I worked at a movie theater. And there was a Burger King at the end of the plaza. We had like a local diner and a Burger King. And, and the Burger King had the... Uh, the famous, I don't even know if they make it anymore because it's been 15 years since I've eaten anything from a Burger King, was the Rodeo Burger. And I don't okay. know if you remember the Rodeo Burger. It was just their regular cheeseburger, but it had a couple of onion rings and barbecue sauce on it. Well, see, that sounds good. It was great. Yeah. And the, yeah. The, well, I mean, when you're 17 and you can eat whatever you want, it's great. If I ate it now, I'd probably have to take insulin or something. Like it's, right. it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible food product. But I used to go there and they, they had on Sundays... When I, one of the days I had a shift, they had the, the rodeo burger was 99 cents. So I would just go and buy like legitimately 10 rodeo burgers. <laughs> and, for like, and you save them or all eat that day? Oh, no, day? no. You, you eat a couple of them. You know, you give one to whoever you're working with that day. You know, you share, right. the, you share the rodeo burger. It's a rodeo burger. It's, it's meant to be shared with a friend. And then you, uh, you know, I would put them in the office fridge. And then I would, you know, eat them on Monday for, you know, or whatever, the next couple of days for lunch. You get your Sunday rodeo burgers. It was a good deal. And, uh, yes. Yeah, so- I used to like the, uh, I used to like the chicken sandwiches that they had there. And then now they're just not what I remember. Now you get them and like, this is a mushy, crappy, small little chicken patty. But that's because we've been spoiled by the places where you go and you get a monster piece of fried chicken on your sandwich. Oh, yes. And, and so now when you go get that little thing, but I'm just like, no one, I've never known anyone whose favorite place to go was Burger King. Burger King is where you go because it happens to be the closest place to where you're at. If, if you put a gun in my mouth and asked me where the closest Burger King to my house is, what, I mean, you'd have to take the gun out of my mouth to hear my answer, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be right. able to tell you where the closest Burger yeah, King to know. my I house is. Yeah, Burger King. I, I, Burger King is a mystery to me. 
like it's a like it's a it's a amazing laundering it still exists yeah yeah <laughs> like it's owned by the mob and they're just using it to launder money or something it's a front for the russian mob and they're uh they're 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 out there eating at the burger king i don't not not i i will tell you not i it's uh that's all right though i uh i I know that you're a mcdonald's guy at heart not really i'm not i'm no you like like a sweet i'm a pdq i'm a chicken finger guy buy me a place with good chicken fingers that's my place but you like sweet tea and french fries yeah but i don't i don't eat anymore because once i go down the path of of drinking actual sweet tea with real sugar in it then my addiction takes over to the point to where I'm just I'm I'm just eating a pound of sugar yeah. and a pound of caffeine a day and I can't do it. So no, but yes, back when I was like this careless throwing it to the wind. Oh yeah, on the way home from a beach shoot, I'm covered in sweat and sand. I'm swinging through McDonald's and getting a giant friggin' sweet oh, tea, sixty four ounces hot, of diabetes. Yes, a hot piping thing of French fries and eating that on my hour long drive. Uh, back home from the beach. Of course, now I would never do that because I don't allow any food products whatsoever to enter my car. Yeah, I'm, uh, you mean yours slash Bobby's car. Yeah. Well, yesterday I actually had to send a picture out to my entire family because I found in the back when I was cleaning my car, I found in the back there, you know, in the door handle where you you know open and close the door, there's that little door handle, like armrest slash door handle. And in that door handle, I found a Tic Tac. So I had to send out a picture to the family <laughs> and basically tell them that everyone was grounded. Everyone is grounded <laughs> until we find out who left the damn Tic Tac in my car. <laughs> I'm sure that they're all very concerned. This is oh yeah, this is one of those. Oh, they all played long. It was great. The, the accusations started flying. What flavor was the Tic Tac? And Mackenzie's like, I think we need some sort of a lick test here to find out what flavor the Tic Tac was because Sam was like, I only eat the orange Tic Tacs, and Mackenzie's like. Yeah, but the orange Tic Tacs are white on the outside. And so there was a whole, you know, only murders in the building kind of vibe going on where they were trying to determine who had left the Tic Tac in my car. I, I This is one of those situations where you're clearly morally, logically in the right, but you're going to come across <laughs> like a madman. Well, I wanted to come across like a madman. I, mean, I thought it was funny when I found it, like a Tic Tac. It's was, funny until funny. you find a chicken finger under the front seat. Well, no, no, then heads are going to roll. <laughs> Yeah, I'm serious. If I found like an actual like a French fry in my car, that's it. You're at this. Well, if imagine if you found a Burger King wrapper. See, then like then you that'd be a real mystery because who eats at Burger King? Well, I guess Brandon, you know, my future son-in-law. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he works there. So I guess he so I guess he eats there. Well, good thing uh, Brandon or Sam don't listen to the podcast because uh, I think you just engaged them on the podcast. They just betrothed your daughter to the, uh, the the Burger King kid. So oh, he could be back. He practically lives here anyway. Well, you know, he sounds like an industrious young man, which brings up an interesting point. I'd like to talk about my kids who are – they did something yesterday that I had mixed feelings about and I want to run it by you, okay? So right. my my daughter, my oldest, I swear to God she's an entrepreneur at heart. She's had a, a lemonade stand. She has, you know, she fresh water. She bakes cookies and she'll set up a little thing out on the end of the driveway. She's been doing this since she was about three, and now she's seven. And she got a kit for birthday, Christmas, whatever, doesn't matter. It's a little bracelet-making thing. And so it's uh, essentially for, you take rubber bands, little colored rubber bands, and you hook them on these little things, and then you take it off, and it's a, and it's a bracelet. I'm wearing one oh, right now. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing one right now. Mackenzie, Mackenzie, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wore them, too. Mackenzie was into that for a while. So, I, yeah. yeah, I've got that. So, she is, she can't just enjoy a thing. She's a lot like her dad. She can't just enjoy 
a thing for the sake of it. She has to figure out how to turn that thing into a job. And so she 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 makes these bracelets. She makes a couple of sample bracelets because she's mm-hmm. a boutique business and she decides to to go door to door and sell them to the neighbors. Now, <laughs> as a 7-year-old with three younger siblings, instinctively she knows that in the eyes of str- adults who do not know her that she is not going to be the best salesperson because she has younger sisters who are younger and younger kids to adults are always cuter. A three-year-old is not as cute as a one-year-old. A seven-year-old is not as cute as a five-year-old. So like Ellie is like a seven-year-old who's the size of a 10-year-old and she's brilliant and she doesn't have, she talks like an adult. She doesn't have that cute kid thing anymore. She doesn't have the lisp. She doesn't have any of those, the baby voice that people die for. But you know who does? Her four-year-old sister. Her four-year-old sister has golden curls and big glasses with a thick prescription, and she has that little lisp and that high, squeaky voice. So she she sends her four-year-old sister door-to-door in the neighborhood with a box of her samples to get her neighbors on board with buying a rubber bracelet for $1. And so she... She she doesn't go. She sends Josie. And so Josie comes back and she sold a bracelet to every house that she hit. And in a couple of cases, of she, she sold two. So she comes back with the order. They get to pick the color. And then Ellie makes the bracelets to order. And then Josie will deliver the bracelets. And here's the real clincher. Josie, this is, <laughs> I think my kids are on Twitter. Josie got the money up front. <laughs> That's right. Me now. She's, and then I deliver. Right. She <laughs> she got them to put money in the hand of a four-year-old who right. just with a plastic box of bracelets. Have. So they spent the afternoon yesterday making ru- so, and selling rubber bracelets to all our neighbors. So was there an adult with the four-year-old who was wandering the neighborhood asking for money? Oh, yeah. You can see every house in my street from our from our kitchen. And so okay. we have like our, our, our dining room. Our dining room is at the front of the house. And it's like an extension. It sticks out from the main rectangle of the house. And it's got six windows, two on each side of the three walls that make up the dining room. So you pull up the shutters and you can see all the way down to the end of the street. So, yeah, she was never like, I mean, I'm sure she's perfectly safe in my neighborhood. I live on a dead end street in Winter Park, Florida, for God's sake. But um, she, uh, yeah, no, we were watching it the whole time. But, yeah, it was. uh, You know, there's a little, there's two sides to that. One is it's very cute. You know, it's very cute. And a little kid comes to my door. And I'm like, yeah, here's a dollar. You may think that's so great. That's so cute. But then there's also the the flip side of that coin, which is the whole, don't send your kid over to my house begging for money. Hey, that, well, that's the bad side. I know that's the evil side, but there is a second side to that too, which is the whole. Oh, here we go. I, dig- I digress. Now? One, uh, they weren't begging for money; they were offering a premium, <laughs> a premium custom <laughs> product. We just put a no soliciting sign on the door today, right? So keep your child away. What's What's next? Hey, we're doing some lawn spraying in the neighborhood. We noticed your lawn could use a little work. Because those are the people that knock on my door like every week. Yeah, well, we have a we we have a kid, a neighbor kid who who mowed our lawn for a while, and so we had a guy that was mowing our lawn, and he was okay. He wasn't particularly consistent, but my neighborhood kid, he was eight years old, and he's dragging his lawnmower around. He's like makes his own little signs, you know, so and so's lawn mowing business or whatever. And we were like, oh, okay, all right, buddy, you can you can mow our lawn. And he mowed our lawn for like a year, and then he just sort of like got tired of mowing everybody's lawns and yeah. just bailed. I said. 
I fired an adult man to hire you. I fired a, a, a human man with with a mortgage a to hire you, and now you're gonna now now you're gonna abandon me. So he comes right. around, and now he's now he's twelve, and so he comes around with his grandmother the other day, who's a, who's also our neighbor, and he brings new little signs with his prices and his services. And I looked at him. I said, "Buddy," I said, "I fired a man once for you, and then you let me down." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, because I've got a great guy. The guy who mows my lawn now is amazing. And uh, so I'm not, no, there's no way. I said, but, and here's what I told him. I told him what I didn't want to hear. I said, I'm sure I could find some work around here for you to do if you're interested. Come back by. I got weeds to pull and mulch and whatever. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get nope, hasn't come back. Nowhere near. Hasn't even asked. So. Maybe. Yeah, of course not. But okay, no. so my kids, like, Julie looked at me and we were both sort of like, all right, maybe it's a little cringy for our kids to be going door to door collecting money for stuff. But we both were like, I don't, you know, they are not, they're working for their money. They came up with an idea. They put together a little business and I don't want to, I don't want to suppress that, you know? Right. No, we had the same thing. Uh, Mackenzie uh, did that. And then, um, and then, oh, this is such a sad moment. Um, she got into that. The, they were making, um, what do the, they call slime? They were making slime. Ugh. You can make slime, right? So she started making slime and she really got into it. And she started making all the different types of slime. She had little containers for it. And then she started uh, selling the slime to the kids at school. And everything was going great. And Bobby said, okay, but here's the rule. And this is hard and fast. The slime never leaves the kitchen. Ever. Yes, because if, but dude, we have an antique rocking chair that slime got left on once. And it yeah. ruined it. And then Mackenzie took some to her room. And... I mean, Bobby just shut it all down. And I mean, this had been like a week, couple of week long thing going on where she had the whole slime chemical lab happening in our kitchen and she was loving it and excited. And Bobby just said, that's it. Ooh. I put down the law and bam, you are done. And it was one of the few th times where I was like, ooh, you're being too hard because I'm tend to be more harder on the kids than they are. But I was just like, ooh, really? I mean, look how much she loves it and look how much she's crying. But she was like, no, I told her clearly. I made it perfectly clear. As, as Bobby sips a cup of her kids. child's tears. <laughs> just drink that up. Like we, we have carpet, Bouray. And then later she got into jewelry and she was making, going down to the rock store. Yeah, we have a rock store in Tampa. A store of just maybe, rocks. Yeah, yeah rocks. It's nothing but rocks. And she would go buy rocks and make jewelry. And then some girls at school were like, where'd you get that? And she started making it for them. Yeah. And of course now Samantha's friggin' on Macari. Making, uh, she bought her, uh, she bought her laptop for school with the money she made off Macari. What's a Macari? Macari is like an eBay. Uh huh. And uh, what she has discovered is that, like Target and um, a couple of other stores, that there are things like th they'll have these lines of things that come out like coffee mugs by a specific specific designer, and they will be like in Target stores, or they'll be whatever. And I forget the name of the designer, but the coffee mugs look like they're made out of handmade by clay, you know. And they'll have like a whole line of Disney ones or a whole line of whatever. And not everyone has these stores in their town. And so she literally will go. She'll buy the whole Wizard of Oz collection. And she'll go and sell them on Macari at like 100% or 80% markup. So she'll go buy them for 15 and sell them for 25 or 28 So people can't buy them on Target.com? I guess I don't know what it is. They must but be it's limited. Crazy. It must be like a limited collection or something. It's it's nuts the stuff if they're looking for a specific specific one or whatever. And the other day it was uh Target has come out with a little tiny shopping cart for your kids. Oh yeah, it the looks mini, just like mini the Target mini brands. Yeah. Right, the mini it's just like their Target but it's for their kids. People were going nuts 
She had this searched all over town. There was only one. It was in St. Pete, and she went and got it. It sells for 20 bucks. I think she sold a Macari for 110 Dude, the my kids are nuts about these mini brands things. It's basically like you take a like a uh, like a, a gallon of milk and they make a right. little toy of a gallon of milk. And think of think of that times even branded stuff. So it's like a tiny little Hershey's bar and all these other things. It's a whole line of things that so kids can collect them and have the little shopping cart. It's absolutely bonkers. I was like, you know that we have a full size real one of those in the fridge, right? Like, I right. Th- th- if you're ever trying to understand the stuff that kids like, you just never understand it or why they like it. You just have to be like they like it, and and just yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just you know, Seinfeld has a whole routine about we're really just everything we get, we just buy it in our house. It just moves through our house and then it goes out to the trash. We're just really a conduit for trash. He said, "What I want is a store where you can just go in." Buy something and then throw it in the garbage on the way out. That would be great. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's basically – that's where everything's going anyway. So I had a, a really interesting phone call yesterday um, because right. I have pre-ordered the Canon R7. We've talked about that on the show because our business is expanding more into video. We're getting a lot of inquiries for video and we're getting ready to launch 2023, a whole like video side of our business, new stuff on the website. And so I figured the R7 would be a really good second video camera to accompany my R5. It's been on back order for weeks on almost everywhere. So I called my local camera store, Colonial Photo and Hobby. I just gave them a buzz just to see. And I called around a couple different places. I even called camera stores out of state to see what they have. So I called Colonial Photo and Hobby. You tell me how smart these people are as the local camera store. I called them and I said, hey, I'm looking for an R7. Da, 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 da. And she goes, well, we only have the kit. And I, as, as I'm looking around, I realized everybody has the kit, but nobody has right. the body only. And I go, oh, okay. I was, how much is the kit? She's like, it's $1,900 and it comes with the 18 to 150 or whatever. I was like, yeah, I don't really need that lens. She goes, here's what we're going to do. She goes, you come and you buy the kit and I will buy back that lens for you for, from you for $300. And I was like, which brings the price to $1,600. MSRP on the body only is $1,500. So basically, you pay $100 okay. more to have it, the camera in your hands right now and be able to go and pick it up from your local camera store. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, that's worth it. If you're a business, especially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sure. I mean, I just booked one client that's going to be videos every month for the next year. So it's like I can absolutely go and do that. In fact, I'm thinking about doing it this afternoon. But the um, I thought that was great. Like what a really like create one of the advantages of like getting a person on the phone at a camera store and working with them. You know, I thought that was anyway. So just a tip for bombardiers out there. If you're listening, if you're looking for that camera for the Canon R7, it's on back order. Call a few camera stores and see if they will do a buyback on the kit lens because they probably have the kit and not the body only. So pro tip there, just in case. That is, that's a good tip. It's a very good tip. So we have a ton, a ton of interesting photography news. Do you want to jump to it? Yeah, it is that time. It's uh, time for photography news. Photography, photography news. news. <laughs> Well, hi there on the photography news, Gary. I know I've been I've been changing my pitch a little bit here and there to make it more interesting. You know, right. if you're like most photographers, you didn't go into business for the paperwork. Does the chaos of invoices, emails, and to dos make you crazy? Well, that's where Seventeen Hats comes in. Their all-in-one mobile-friendly platform organizes your business. Seventeen Hats handles the time-sucking tasks like payment reminders, capturing leads, scheduling your images. With Seventeen Hats, important emails go out automatically. And quotes, contracts, and invoices, click, click, paid. Small wonder that thousands of photographers swear by 17 hats. You'll free up so much time from day-to-day stealing to-dos, it's like you've cloned yourself. You'll be able to focus on what you do best, photography. 
Meanwhile, 17 Hats does exactly what you need done to manage your business, just as if you were doing it. So why not clone yourself with 17 Hats? Visit 17hats.com to learn more. And be sure and use the code PHOTOBOMB to get 50% off your first year. First thing I want to talk about in photography news is a story that's been ongoing for a while. We've been covering this uh, story for a while. You know, like we do uh, as, as serious journalists. Yes, as serious journalists. We, we absolutely do. Uh, and that is this story of the Andy Warhol Association being sued by Lynn Goldsmith. And uh, I reached out to Lynn once and asked her to be on the show so we could talk about it. And she was like, because of the lawsuit, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about this stuff. I said, great. That's great. It was nice of her to, to get back to me. And if you haven't kept up with this story, Lynn took a picture of Prince and then the Andy Warhol Association took that picture of Prince and then turned it into a, for lack of a better word, Warholian type of image. Warholian. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Like, you know, the Marilyn Monroe's, the four blocks of Marilyn Monroe where they just, they saturated in a color. So they did that with uh, Prince and they turned it into a, a Warholian image and they started selling prints of it. And so then she sued. Uh, it has progressed and progressed through the court system. And now it is going to the Supreme Court. And I just love that it's going to the Supreme Court. And another amicus brief has been filed uh, by the uh, copyright people, the uh, Copyright Office of the United States. And it is, once again, in support of Lynn Goldsmith saying that uh, it was improper use. And that, and this is always the argument that gets me, is that the Warhol treatment was not transformative enough for it to then not be subject to copyright law. And I, I know I dwell on this a lot, but I keep getting wrapped up in this whole idea of how do we decide? Now, where is the line? If something, yeah, where is the line? How do we decide if something is transformative enough? And I always say the same thing. If you can take my picture and your thing and show it to a person, that's what they should just do. We're going to get 100 people. We're going to show them these two things, and we're going to ask 100 people, do you think this second thing came from the first thing? And if the answer is yes, survey you're getting says. sued. <laughs> yeah. Survey says you're getting sued. We asked 100 people if this picture looks like it was taken from this picture. You have to do that the in the voice yes. of Steve Harvey when you say it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, and I, I, because I don't know how else you could possibly decide what is transformative enough. I, you know, that's literally why the courts exist. And I was thinking about this today because we have a couple of um, copyright cases that we're talking about in photography news today. And, you know, just because it gets to a, a judge, a circuit judge or an appeals court judge, it doesn't mean that that judge is an expert on intellectual property law or copyright. Right. right? That judge could have come up from criminal, could have come up from real estate law, could have come up as a professor of tort law. Like, you just don't know. And so I was thinking about how they make those decisions. And so like the amount of research and they get their legal aides and their clerks to look for precedents and then they they weigh all the information to make a decision. But the judge that you get doesn't necessarily have an expertise in that particular area of the law that lands in front of them. Or do they send it to a particular judge because of their expertise on the perfect on that particular subject matter? I don't know. I think aren't judges, isn't it chosen at random? Yeah, that I don't know. So, hey, if you know that, if you're out there, if you're a bombardier and you know that, um, let us know. Uh, that would be really cool to kind of get an insight into that process. Like, how does a particular case end up in front of a particular judge? And does their background, experience, or training have anything to do with why they got the case? I'd love Because to it used that. to be literally it was a random, you know, it was like a numbers bin. Every week, they or whatever, they would draw which judges got which which cases, like in a municipal court. Well, what they do is they... Because they, 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 
there is a term. The lawyers say, which, which, which judge did you draw for your case? Yeah, they get all the, the judges of the Ninth Circuit to stand in a circle. And they yeah. put a they put a small rubber ball in the middle, and then a, a squirrel. And whichever person yeah. the squirrel pushes the ball to gets the case. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it works. That's, that's the entire justice system is based on squirrel ball theory. The squirrel ball theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll be following this case and, and seeing what happens because uh, I, I, you know, I go back and forth. I absolutely am an advocate for if someone takes my work, man, am I going to be upset? But I also do understand the people who say that. A certain form of a certain bit of ripping off, especially in music, is um, has historically proven as a way to push the boundaries and push art forward. This especially with music when they talk about, well, clearly uh, Blurred Lines was, you know, the, the, the melody was ripped off from Marvin Gaye. But then there were people, surprising people in the business who said, yes, however... They shouldn't have to pay any money for it because this sort of stuff has always gone on in the music business. And this is how times change. This is how things happen. And so you just need to let it happen. And I, I don't know. Yeah. The, well, I, just I was just know. listening to some uh, old school rap music in my car, you know, California Love. And then, uh, you know, there's one song with Snoop Dogg that was totally ripped off Michael McDonald. I keep forgetting, you know? Dun, yeah. Done. Done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, derivative music, as long as the, the thing is I, that I don't understand is why attribution is such a problem, because nobody's going to take yeah. you to court and sue you for a gazillion dollars if there's no money there. And so if money's being made off of a thing, like if, if, if somebody is, has comes up with an idea or a piece of art or a postcard or a T-shirt or whatever, and they're going to sell a million of them and make millions of dollars. Rather than go through this process, why wouldn't they just cut the original artist in and give him percentage and then... Well, they are now. I mean, there was a thing in the news recently that Beyonce has a song that has 25 writers listed. Right. Well, a lot of samples, as I understand it. Yeah, because of all the samples that are in it. But what I always... What I always what's a shame to me is how I will sometimes find out that there's a song that has a sample in it. And then I'll track down the sample and discover, oh, no one knows that this is a sample and no one knows what a huge sample it is. And I'll give you a perfect example. You know the song It Takes Two by DJ Rob Bass? It takes two to make a dream go right. <laughs> it takes two to make it out of sight. Yeah, yeah. Ah, right. Now, that song wasn't like a monster radio hit, but in the, in the club world, It Takes Two at 115 beats per minute was a solid dance floor starter. In the 90s, It Takes Two would get you a dance floor every single time. It's after happy hour now and they're putting the buffet away and you need to start a dance floor. It Takes Two by DJ Rob Bass, right? So I knew, I read somewhere that there was a big sample. I knew that, I knew that uh, they, he sampled James Taylor's Scream, I mean, James Brown's Scream, and he sampled uh, Funky Drummer, which is a song by James Brown, which has been sampled by more, more people than any other song in history. But the actual It Takes Two part is a sample. So I went looking for the original song. Oh my God, it's the whole song. The whole song it takes to is a, is a blatant, complete take from a, a song from the 60s that a woman did. I mean, the whole, it takes two to make it, that's, that's the sample. I thought that was the real part. And that just little bits were a sample? No, the whole chorus is a sample from another song. Well, he re-recorded it, basically. But it's still a sample. It's, you know, another song that you're listening to. And what I don't like is that no one knows that. Oh, except me, me and my daughter, who I forced to listen to it. Yeah, good, good for you, good for you. Uh, that's that's some real father daughter bonding moment. So yeah, we're gonna keep up on this stuff. We know that for some of you guys that r eyes roll real hard when we start talking about copyright stuff, it is 
following on how copyright's going in the courts is incredibly, incredibly important to any creative artist, anybody who creates intellectual property. And us as uh, photographers and videographers, our visual, our uh, intellectual property is important. So we want to make sure that we are uh, up to date on all that stuff. Speaking of which, let's talk about, I'm going to do a quick hit here about Zillow. This is an old court case that from 2015, where basically what happened is Zillow took, uh, sourced about, I don't know, 20,000 photos from a company called VHT. <laughs> 2,700. Was it? No, no, hold on. Let me, no, no. There was, that's how many. They, they displayed like 2,000. Uh, but they it's they infringed on the copyright of 22,000 22,000 photos. 2,093 of them were displayed. So essentially what's happened is is that uh, Zillow has lost and lost and lost and partially won. So like the, the courts kind of went down the middle a, in a, a little bit and ended up awarding uh, almost $2 million to this company, VHT, who is the owner of these images. And initially, Zillow said, the spokesperson for Zillow said, That's act, that seems fair, let's move on with our lives or whatever. But now it's come back that, the, that Zillow is unhappy with it because they're asking for it to be, instead of 2,700, if you steal 2,700 images, that's 2,700 infringements. So Zillow is asking for it to be treated as one collection of images and only paying the fine once. So uh, I'm going to do a bit of quick math. Let's see if you can do this in your head before I can pull up my calculator, Blu-ray. What is 1.93 million? <laughs> million. I'm going to say... Divided by, divided by 2,700? Divided by 2,700. 1.993000. Uh, divided by 2,700. So they're, instead of 1.93 million, they're asking to pay $714. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I don't know if they said uh, that it should be broken down that way. What I like is if they didn't say that, if they just said we should pay, pay, pay for it as one infraction, then what would be great would be if the judge came back and said, OK, we're just going to find you with, as, as one infraction of one point nine million dollars right yeah sure you, <laughs> you know, can look at the amount. invoice however you want buddy yeah. yeah we don't care how we don't care what the invoice says you know just as long as at the end we get our 1.9 million dollars the national press photographer association filed an amicus brief on this as well and said that many times photos are displayed in a group but still each individual photo has its own merit and the fines should be attached for each individual uh, photo. I, I hope that they lose this case. I, I, take... I think so too. Just on what, what I've read about it, I, I think that Zillow's definitely in the wrong and they need to figure out how to source their images a little bit differently or at least pay for them. You, like, you never end up paying as much when you when you do it the right way as you do when you get sued for it because that you know there are penalties involved there are court fees involved and if you lose, a lot of times you have to pay the, the court fees of the and, and the legal fees of the other team. You know, like, so essentially, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you just, I don't understand, like, these, Zillow's not a small company. These are not small companies with, like, out any lawyers on their staff. Like, they have legal staff at these tech companies. Like, and they're just, they either are completely oblivious and bad at their job, or they're just saying, well, based on our estimates, the lawsuit would be cheaper than if we paid for all these. And they're just okay with getting sued and rolling the dice, in which I can't even imagine. Anyway, I hope they nail Zillow to the wall on this. And, uh, and $1.93 million to Zillow is like 20 bucks for you and I. You know, it's yeah. not a lot of money. So it's not exactly going to put them out of business. But it, it should be a nice little warning shot as to, by the way, 
Because if they ha- if they if they do this again, they're going to go. They'll have a precedent that's set. It's like, well, the last time we did this, a judge ruled that this was one infraction. So let's just go ahead and steal images because it's going to cost us eight hundred bucks to, for these twenty thousand images. Right. Right. That's why you can't do it. That's no, why you, you can't do, do it by, by thing. Because not only are you opening that up for Zillow by creating that precedent for them to do it again, but other companies will be able to point to that precedent and say, look at that. We can Any bu- bunch of images we steal from one source, if we get sued, then it'll just be considered one collection of images, and then we could end up paying next to nothing for those right. images. Right. If you, if you know that, you know, hey, if I kill somebody, I can go to prison for murder. But if I kill 100 people, it's the same sentence. One life sentence for murdering <laughs> then, 20 people. And, you know, I might as well just, might as well just kill 100 people. Uh, hey, who, who was it that posted the story in the Bombardier's Lounge? By the way, if you're not hanging on the Bombardier's Lounge, you should just go to uh, Facebook and search Bombardier's Lounge and you will find it. Who posted the story about the Olive Garden? Uh, the witty and talented Anne Companion, who is a regular yeah. staple in the Bombardier's Lounge. And, uh, and- yeah. Now, there was a story about a, a photographer in Tennessee who uh, was doing an engagement session, and so she took the people to Olive Garden and photographed outside the Olive Garden with that unique stone Tuscany you know, architecture that they have at the Olive Garden so that it looks like they are like outside of a villa you know, in Tuscany mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for, their, for their pictures and, sh- and being praised for it. And I praise, too, the whole idea. I mean, photographers, we know that that you don't need a beautiful location to get beautiful photos. You only need a sliver of beauty. Yeah, I guess at first... Just a sliver. Yeah. Just what's in the background. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I have questions because they said, oh, they, they always wanted to go to Italy and, and et cetera. And, and so I'm like, okay, first of all, did you, did you, when you posted these pictures or engagement pictures or you used them online, did you tell people you were in Italy? Because if you did, that's bull. You shouldn't well, have done that's that. The headline of the story is that, you know, person tricks people into thinking her engagement session was in Italy. Okay. But, so, yeah, I don't like but, that. But from, I read the whole article and Anne looked at the posts and there was really no point where any, where she was like misrepresented. The photographer, first of all, never misrepresented herself. In fact, she did a great job and posted it on her social media about look what you can do in the parking lot of an olive garden. And she turned that right. into like a TikTok story or whatever they call it. A talk, a tick, a talk. What do they call it on TikTok? And so I thought that was actually pretty cool. So the other thing is this is great content for photographers. If anybody follows her, um, can you pull her name up? I accidentally closed the window that had that story. Uh, yeah, I've got her name in here somewhere. Uh, their names were uh, Carly and Caden, and her name was um, there is Shay Cravens of Hunter Lashia Photography. Yeah, and so she she did a good job, sort of publicizing this, which is even make it international news, which is pretty cool. So I thought the images were very great, contemporary. Um, as soon as you start to see the curb and the sidewalk, though, you know that you're in an olive garden. Yeah. Right? But- and here's the other thing I think would be a problem is that if you're sharing, if you're giving these photos to your family and your friends, they're all going to recognize the olive garden that's down in front of the big lots. You know what? I think that, you know, yes, possibly. But I also think that the photos themselves, they look great. You know, they're very contemporary. That's kind of warm, backlit, you know, glowy style. Right. And... You know, although any it says she's been a photographer for five years, a professional photographer, and I think that's that's kind of interesting because the only thing I can think of, and I and I don't want to discredit her, and I thought she did a fine job and and very creative, is that it's a really good way 
for new photographers, anybody who catches the story, to realize that you can pretty much use anywhere as a location if you know what right. you're doing. Anybody who's been in business as long as I have, as long as you have, we know that because we've been shooting weddings at the VFW and, all, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you know, shooting getting ready pictures at the Howard Johnson's Motel and all this different stuff. Like, we have to make st- crappy stuff look good all the time. And this is kind of a prime example of that. And I think that she did a great job. Yeah, it was actually a really... At first, I was like... I went into the story clicking on it being like... Because I think the title is intentionally clickbaity to say tricked. I don't think they actually tricked anybody. I think that they... Right. You know, but um, it does look very, very cool. And considering... Um, you know, you can still get all you can eat soup, stout, salad, or breadsticks for a reasonable price. I would say that <laughs> you could probably do the photo shoot, then take your clients to lunch, and you and and or take your photographer to lunch, and then you'd spend a lot right. less money than you would actually going to Tuscany. And I've I've been to Tuscany five or six times, you know, over the last decade, and. Olive Garden is as some of us view Olive Garden as sort of the epitome of like this is not a great restaurant. This is like the big commercial restaurant. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but they really do build them by and large to look like a, a winery you'd see in Tuscany. And from the right angles, it gets pretty close. Just keep the big lots cropped out of the background. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought the pictures were fine. And and uh, they said they did it at six o'clock in the morning. So there was nobody there. You know, they weren't in anybody's way. There was no problem. Just make sure you and, talk uh, to the plaza security so Paul Blart Mall Cop doesn't come and kick yeah. you out of the Olive Garden parking lot. Always get permission. <laughs> Always get permission. That's a good story. And in the uh, world of robot overlords. Oh, may they be praised. May they be praised. May they be praised. Um, comes this story about a woman's funeral uh, that was unique because the woman was there and talking to the mourners. Through the use of AI and holographic video technology. Um, This is an interesting story. The more I got into it, the more I enjoyed it. Um, What happened was that um, this woman was a a Holocaust educator. So this is a woman who who had a history of of doing great work. And she passed away in June at the age of 87. And it turns out that I think it was her son actually works for this company called Storyfile, which is a company that is developing AI technology and video to be able to record people's stories and keep them preserved for a long time. And and they put it to a situation where you can actually ask questions of this AI person. Well, I think it was her son. Yeah, Dr. Stephen Smith. He's a co-founder of the company. So he decided to do it with his mother. So he recorded his mother asking her a bunch of questions and having her talk about it. And then he, they compile all this together into basically this holographic technology on on screen. And then at the funeral, you could ask her questions. Now, I don't know if the funeral is a place you want to do it, but you could ask her questions. And then based on all the answers and stuff that she had given uh, in all the interviews, she was able to answer the questions, which is very cool. Um, what I especially think is cool is that they're doing the same thing for William Shatner. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Shat, baby. The Shat. the Shat will not be lost to history. You will be able to ask questions of the Shat long after he is gone. And I think that that's fantastic. But here's what I thought was the most interesting. The, the angle I didn't get until I, I read the story was they said one of the great things about this technology is it doesn't just preserve her memory, but she is now able to answer questions with new details and honesty because she's dead. Yeah, right? So so in the same way that you have a will that goes, well, to my brother Jim, I never really liked you, Jim. I'm leaving you nothing. 
that you put that in your will because now you're dead. Well, you can do the same thing here. Hey, Jim, you remember that hot little number that you uh, you brought on vacation with a family in Tijuana? Yeah, well, I took her down in the men's room on the cruise ship. Just wanted <laughs> you to right. know I couldn't live with myself if I didn't let you know the truth. Right. So now you can do that. So when they ask you all those questions, you can you can be you can be deadly honest. Like, now that I'm gone. You people are going to really know what I think of you. Yeah. Oh, dude, it, that, this could go so wrong yeah. and, or slash so right. I think initially I, I saw this and the, and the headline's like, oh, man, that's creepy. It's the word funeral that gets you, right? Like right. when you look at right. the headline. It's at a funeral. And it would be creepy either way. I mean, if the person wasn't dead and it was a week later and suddenly there's my mom on a screen and I can ask my mom questions and she talks to me. Oh, you know, but at the same time, maybe... It, Especially if you know that they're real answers, things that she really said, because that's what they do. They record you answering from a bank yeah, of, like of hours worth of details about your so life. So that like, and then uh, it said in the story that if you ask, if you asked her something that she didn't know, she would say, she would tell you to a- ask her something else. But like in a, like, oh, I'm not really sure about that. Love it. Is there anything else you want to ask me or whatever, you know, like. <laughs> Exactly. What said, hey, when I was your age, we didn't have hot chocolate. We just had hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They process they process all the footage, hours of your interviews, uh, and then they tag clips. And, and it's twenty two it cameras or twenty five cameras getting all the different angles, so they create like a full rendering of you. It's wild, right, man. Right, right. AI. So it's not like it just plays a video clip of her answering the question. They use the video clips to train the AI, and then the AI, kind of like a deep fake, the AI makes the computer generated from film version of your mother then answer the questions using i'm guessing you know new syntax and new language so it's not actually like rolling just a video clip of her talking but it's it's more organic right the difference is between this and a deep fake a deep fake is to put someone's face on your face so that or whatever and they to to make them say things they've never said before where this actually they say things that they really said that have been recorded and i think that this is potentially something that's that's a big deal. Um, and I'm looking at the positive ramifications of this. First of all, I think that for people grieving, it could be hugely therapeutic. I think the, the, the American Psychological Association is going to have to really keep an eye on this. But um, this also means that the robot overlords has, have offered us immortality. Yes, in a way. In a, they have. With it, in, in no, a way, no. They have because this is how the beginning of them making us one of them. And I, for one, welcome the chance to transcend out of my physical form, my corporeal husk, to to be lifted up into eternity in the bosom of the great robot overlords. Well, here's the thing, though. Um, What was the movie with the... Oh, geez. What was the movie with uh, Christian Bale and... um, Hugh, uh, Hugh, what's his face? Not Hugh. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, the Mexican Wolverine. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, that, you're talking about the Prestige. The Prestige. Thank you. There's the question. If you do all the stuff and you get all that stuff uploaded into the AI, now is the AI you or are you you? you? Because you're going to die. The AI lives on, but you're you, the person dying. You're not really the AI. You're talking about the ship of Theseus. In a way, I am yeah. talking about the ship of Theseus, and 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 God bless you, my son, for bringing up the ship of Theseus, something that only you and I know what yeah. it is. Uh, 
<laughs> no, well, so, this is. This and by the way, not an episode of Star Trek from the original series. No, although. Just the, so you know, look it up. The Ship of Faces is a classic philosophical argument. Okay, so essentially, if all. Let's say that you take this to, to its conclusion. Let's say all of your memories, your entire con- consciousness was able to be digitized and turned into AI, right? Right. And then when you die, this basically this digital version of your consciousness exists and this has been this has been posed in science fiction right, but see that i decades. would not be living on the clone of me would be living but on. if it's all of your memories and all of your consciousness basically it's a control c control v you without your body is it you or let's say that they were somehow were right. able to tr- like old man's war right able to transfer your consciousness Okay, now that is you. Into another body. Right. That's if you can transfer of my consciousness body. into the body, then it is me. Nope. But if you just make a duplicate of me that lives on, then I'm not living on. The duplicate is what of is, me. What is the difference? To everyone else I'm living on, but to me, I'm still dying. What's the, co- what's the difference between a copy of your mind and your consciousness? There is no difference to everyone else, but there's a difference to me because I'm the one, because I personally am going to die. Well. And because I don't, because I don't physically transform into that other thing. If I can talk to the other thing, then I'm not. Then that's not me. I'm me talking to that thing. See what I'm saying? Mm. So that's so that's why. Just like in in the, in the Prestige, you know, he, he creates the clone and then kills himself. But still, he dies. The clone goes on, but he dies. The clone has all his memories, and all that stuff, but he dies. Death, death's coming for us all. Old painless, old painless is coming for everybody. Eventually. Also, the argument is made. Also, the argument is made that he never creates the clones in that show. Okay. That he actually uses a twin the whole time, and at the end just frames Christian Bale by killing the twin. That the whole thing was an elaborate setup. Hmm. Yeah, I'll wrap your head around that, folks who've seen the Prestige. Yeah, yeah. Those of you, and it's one of those. You ever see, notice movies always come out in pairs, like genre? Movies? Yes, the Prestige came out at the same time. What was the other With one? With Edward Norton. It was yes, uh, the Edward Norton one. Yeah, came out the same time. I guess it wasn't as good as the Prestige because we just can't remember the name of it. Yeah, Edward Norton and and uh, and Jessica B- Jessica Biel. Yeah, yeah, that was it. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. That was it. Twilight, <laughs> yeah. New Moon, Electric Boogaloo. Is what it yes. was exactly. Uh, and and when you think about in that movie with uh, with Jessica Biel and Ed Norton, all of those different mops, those were just clones of the original mop that were trying to clean up the spill. Took you a minute. Yeah, that was. That it was took you a minute deep. to realize what I was doing. That was the, the mops from the Sorcerer's the Apprentice. And the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Got it. Yeah, took dun, you a minute. Oh, dude. Okay. First of all, first of all, I got to doff my cap to you. That was solid. <laughs> that was a solid. It wasn't very solid if you didn't no, get no, it. it right just took, no, just because I'm slow yeah. and I, you know, I don't know what a good alley oop looks like, it doesn't mean that it wasn't uh, a good uh, a good joke. So, moving on in uh, in TikTok news, continuing on with our robot overlords, we spent a little bit of time in past episodes talking about AI generated artwork. Well, TikTok is now the first social media platform to unveil. AI generated artwork into its platform, which you can now use. The difference is, is that this is a scaled down, much less detailed version because that type of art that we've been seeing posted all over Facebook and everything is takes a huge amount of processing power, which is currently not really available, you know, in a mobile platform. So I think that as it moves forward, this kind of technology, once it gets more photorealistic, is going to be really, really useful for finding somebody better looking to date with your phone. 
You think so? I do. Yeah. I mean, at least getting them in the door, right? Like you could totally catfish somebody. You'd be like, hey, uh, make a, a a work of art of a of a handsome man in a Burger King polo. Here's here's what I love. What I love is that we are bringing now to the masses the ability for anyone to create really, really horrible art. Yeah, thank God. I, I thank God for that. This this is wonderful. You know what this compares to? I mean, we talked about this before, about how I said, you know, once everyone can do this, what's it going to do to the whole idea of this kind of work? Remember when, if someone showed you a picture where everything was black and white except for one thing being in color? Selective color, yeah. Remember when it was a big deal? Oh, that was a big hairy deal. Like, what? How do you do oh, that? Oh, my God. That's so cool. The kids and just the flowers are red. And then it got to where anyone could do it with a few clicks in Photoshop. And now now if you do it, you're like, oh, my God. Now so it's like considered color, really. very dated. Yeah. That was early yeah. on in my in my professional career. That was huge, that selective color. And that actually right. comes right. from an old retouching technique that they used to paint on photographic prints. To kind of right. create that, and so that select and that selective color that was done by hand became a digital thing. But yeah, I mean that was like what? And now I think that that's going to happen here. I think that with this sort of artwork being the, the faster it gets, the easier it is for everybody to do it. Soon TikTok will be able to produce it at the same level as the as the big generators will be able to produce it. And when that happens, no one will care about this stuff anymore. You'll see it'll be so ubiquitous that it'll just be like, whatever, whatever, whatever. How long you do you know, think we, it's going to be before there's the first photography studio in the metaverse? Like you'll be meaning, you'll be able to virtually put on your Oculus, visit somebody's digital photography studio and get a portrait done in the metaverse. I know there are a lot of moving parts on uh, leading up to that. Well, you gotta be able to, you've got to be able to take an actual portrait of you, though. That's, I mean, my, what I want is to be in the metaverse where you can put cameras around your room and motion capture yourself in real time. Mm -hmm. That's because they're like, oh, now you can go have virtual meetings. Yeah, virtual meetings where everybody in the meeting is a cartoon. Right. But they're going to a virtual meeting where I'm actually looking at the person. The only reason it's a cartoon is because of processing power, bandwidth, right. storage capacity. But I well, know, and 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 the video required. You would have to have three sixty cameras in the room to record you, right? No, or you just need it. No, you need a, a virtual render of you. That's all you need. And so, that's right, a virtual rendering of you. Then then the AI, like a deep fake. Then the AI makes that. Have move. you ever well, seen like those? The story um, we were just doing. You can get an action figure of yourself made. Right. Right. So I was in a. It was in, this was back when my sister and I went to Scotland like a number of years ago. We went into ASDA, which is the, the UK Walmart. And uh, they had a machine in there that would literally scan you head to toe. You step inside the booth and then make you an action figure, like 3D print you with your clothes, exactly what you're wearing, your expression, the whole nine yards. And this was 10 years ago, not 10 years ago. This was probably six years ago in Scotland. And so is it beyond the realm of possibility that you have local places, you'll be able to go to a Walmart or you'll be able to go to a Best Buy and do a full 3D body scan to create your photorealistic character in the metaverse. Well, creating the character is one thing. And then, like you said, the processing power to then be able to take your voice, your inflection, because I think you would still need the cameras like the motion rigs yeah, that so they need, have when they do Gollum. You need to wear like Benedict Cumberbatch doing the dragon, you know, like with yeah, the green Yeah, I just saw that today, you. by the way. I just saw a clip of him. I know. I was watching you through your webcam while you were doing Were you? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you would still need that in order for the computer to know what your expressions are and inflection are. But that's what I'm really really waiting for because when that happens then you just meet everybody in virtual yeah so i think uh that that'll be uh, pretty interesting to see where this continues to go uh don't be afraid of it because it's coming and so just figure out how to uh, harness it 
Use it and be on the cutting edge, and you might just be able to turn a profit. Yes. Photobomb is written and produced by Bure Perry and Gary Hughes. You can find us online. Go to the Bombardier's Lounge. It's on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Bombardier's Lounge. Bombardier's. Thank you. Also, you can find our website at photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is hughesfioretti.com. So it is. My website is burayperry.com. And you can email us questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>